Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. You know, already this year we've had a theme going on. When Pastor Tony asked me to, to, um, to share, I, I had something in my heart that had been going on for, for a couple of, couple of weeks. And, and I thought, oh, that, that, that would be good. And almost straight away the next morning, he just dropped the anointing, those two words, into my heart. And you know, the next day, Pastor Patsy, Patsy preached on the supernatural. And I thought, oh, this is good. This is a theme. I, I, like, I like themes. I like the Holy Spirit doing that. And then last week, Pastor Kenzie, she shared on living, you know, having done all to stand. And I thought, this is great. This is, I can just see what the Holy Spirit is doing. In fact, I loved what Kenzie shared last week. And it dovetails nicely into what I felt to share. She made this remark, and I actually went online and looked up YouTube because I wanted to, to quote her. And she was regarding the acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit. And she was sharing around the parable of, in Matthew 25 of the virgins and the oil. And she said, in the Bible, oil is used as an example of the Holy Spirit. Anointed of the Holy Spirit, or anointing of the Holy Spirit, or that person is anointed. Oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. She went on to say, the anointing is a presence, the person, and that the power of the Holy Spirit is at hand. And the Holy Spirit is the one that sets, up, sets us up for God's purpose. The anointing is God's enablement for a task. You can't have the anointing without the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Kenzie. I, I love that quote, so I've jotted it down. She also used the scripture, Ephesians 5, 18, 19, being filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, which is exactly what we were just doing. The Passion Translation says it this way, Instead, be filled continually with the Holy Spirit. To be filled and keep being filled and keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not an event. It's a lifestyle. Even in Acts, it's recorded several times. Acts 2, 4 says they're all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never learned. And it goes on to say in Acts 43, they're all in a prayer meeting. They just had a bit of a, um, a, a deal with the, um, the leaders of the day and they were praying in their prayer room and the Spirit of God filled them again. It's not a once-off event. It's filling and keeping filling. Pastor Tony, as he shared in your text and email, if you, if you get his text and email, he mentioned this scripture in Isaiah 10.27, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. We've all heard that phrase, the anointing breaks the yoke. What does that even mean? The things that hold us back, the things that hold us down, the things that stop God moving in your life and in this nation, the anointing of God can break that yoke. God's presence in our life through the Holy Spirit can change our life, our circumstances, and most of all, our outlook. So I'm going to dive into the Old Testament this morning. As we know, the Old Testament is a type and shadow of things to come. In the Old Testament, kings, priests, prophets were anointed with oil to represent the Holy Spirit. And he worked with key people throughout the Old Testament. And as you read it, you'll come across all of those. But in the New Testament, it's every one of us. Every one of us can be filled with the Spirit and do great works for God. Do I hear an amen to that? So when I'm talking about the prophet Elijah this morning, think that could be me. Because there's no favourites. 2 Kings 2, 8 to 15. I'm at, right at the end of Elijah's life. And he's walking with Elisha. It's his last day on earth. And he kept saying to Elisha, you stay here, I'll move on to, to this town. Or I'll move on to this town. And Elisha basically said, I'm not leaving you today. The prophets, some prophets came along and said, do you know that Elijah's being taken today? 
And he said, yes, I know this. Don't talk about it. And they came to the brook in 2 Kings 8. Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up and struck the water. And it was divided this way and that. So the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. A double portion of your spirit. A double portion of your mantle. A double portion of your anointing to be upon me. And Elijah said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened. As they continued on and talked, then suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And as he struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophet who were from Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, you'll anoint my words this morning. May we be hearers of your word, challenge our hearts, and may your words be like fire in our souls and spirit this morning. Break chains. We proclaim liberty to the captives this morning. I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. His spirit, his mantle, his anointing being passed from Elijah to Elisha. And as he took that mantle and struck the ground, I believe he didn't say, where is the God of Elijah in, in doubt or questioning? I believe he said it as a statement of faith. Because as he struck that water, he expected that water to move. He got told, if I'd seen, the, um, seen Elijah depart, you will have a double portion. And I believe everyone today can get a double portion of his spirit. Because I think this world is asking today, where is the God of Elijah? Where is your God when? It is a challenge to the world at large. They're asking as they try and make God irrelevant in this nation. This was not Elisha's question. He did it in faith. But Elisha took that mantle and, and, and basically flicked the water and said, where is the God of Elijah? I believe right now across Australia and the world, the spirit of God is moving. And I think the question is not where is the God of Elijah? It's where is, where are the Elijahs of God? Where are the Elijahs of God? Where is the God of Mount Carmel? Where is the God of power? The God who answers by fire. I believe God's asking that today here in Springwood. Where is Elijah's of God? He is looking for those who are willing to spend enough time with him to understand his heart and go forward into this nation. Getting into the presence of God. Getting God's heart. Understanding God's heart and going into this world. And while I'm sharing this, I'm sharing this to myself as much as everyone else. God's put this on my heart for a reason. His supernatural gifts working within us and through us to change people's lives. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And you say, why now? Why here? I believe that anoints available to us. The double portion. Isaiah 61.1, 1, 
in the New King James Version says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now this is a prophetic scripture of Jesus. This Jesus actually read this, and um, at the time they didn't like it and tried to stone him. But this was prophetic about Jesus. And don't forget, we, what we, he asked us to do, what he should do. But it actually goes on in verse 6. But you should be called the priests of the Lord. Now he's talking to us. They shall speak to, of you as a ministers of the God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations and their glory shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Okay, so this double portion is mine, is yours. Instead of dishonour, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore in the land they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. So this double portion that Elisha asked from Elijah is ours too. That double portion of his anointing. So I'm now going to look at Elijah. Let's look where he came from. Let's look at where he is in what environment he is in and just, just take a look at his life. So suddenly, in the pages of Scripture, arrived a very ordinary man. 1 Kings 17.1 And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand... There shall be not dew nor rain these years except at my word. Can you imagine someone coming from Tishbe being important? Tishbe, where is even Tishbe? It's in the back blocks of nowhere. It's not a capital city, it's not an important place. There's not a Bible college, there's not a university, there's nothing there. It's in the back blocks of nowhere. And out of this nowhere place comes an ordinary man, and he was ordinary. James 5.17 says, Elijah was a man just like us. There is no difference between Elijah and any of us. He's just a shepherd doing his thing in the back blocks of Tishbe in Gilead. Anyone been to Tishbe? Not a very important place. It's not on my top ten list of places to visit. It's actually in Jordan, 60 metres, sorry, 60 kilometres east of the Dead Sea. There's a Wadi Al Yabas, and it's a Wadi in Jordan. Just, I had to look it up because I thought, where on earth is this place? And he wore a typical garments of a shepherd. You know, a, you know, a, a skin and a belt. You can imagine him going into the king dressed as he was. But what a difference the anointing of God makes on a life. Suddenly, the shepherd appears in the courts of the most evil king that Israel had. It says Ahab was the very worst of kings. He walks in and speaks some of those amazing words. I'm not in your courts. I'm in the courts of the Most High. I am in the courts of the Most High. I've just come from there to you to say there's not going to be any rain unless I say so. You know, I picture him like Charlton Heston in front of Yul Brunner in the Ten Commandments, you know, going in. Everyone's got all their you know, beautiful clothing and, and there he is just in his, yeah, shepherd gear. To put it in a modern sense, just imagine walking into a, a place like this. Everyone's got their Armani suits on. Everyone's very well dressed. And someone just walks in in their stubbies and uh, blue singlet and thongs and says that. Yeah. What, would, what, what would Ahab's reaction be? Yeah, yeah, whatever. But under the anointing of God, they could not ignore him. And they might have, as he walked out, said, yeah, okay, thank you for that. Yep, we'll ignore you. But three years later, they were looking for him when there's been no rain. Because if you go in with the word of God, God's word does not, ret not return void. 
You go in with a word from God in any situation, you can cut through anything. Anointed so everyone else stood mute. I picture him with the glory of God resting upon him. As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. It wasn't a king's palace that he came to know God. It'd be like David, a windset places of snakes and scorpions. I can see him in Tishbe hearing what was happening in the land. Hearing the evil that was being done and beginning to pray. Oh God, we are the people of Israel. We are your people. I can see him pacing and fasting. Send someone. Send someone. They need to hear the word of the Lord. And he did. Out of the back blocks of nowhere. He pointed the finger at the king and said, there be no dual reign till I say so. And he left and went to a brook to be fed by God. Who knows if you're in the middle of God's will, you are secure, you will be supplied every need. When was the last time we were alone with God enough for any length of time to hear God's word to us, to our nation? I'm not talking about the quick prayer in the morning, but actually deciding to be alone with God. This whole work from home totally annoyed my wife, Nina. She liked the house alone occasionally. And all of a sudden I was there all the time. She said, can you just go out? Is there a, can you go to work or something? Because she just loves to be alone with God in our house, singing and praising the Lord. It's such a beautiful sense. So what did Elijah walk into? Let's just have a quick look at Israel. I've already said that Ahab was the worst of the kings. He let every form of idolatry into, into Israel. 1 Kings 16, 29 says, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. I don't know about you, I've read about some of the kings before him. They weren't nice either. In fact, they were evil men, murderers, murderers, drunkenness, idolatry, insurrection, vileness, worship of demon gods and witchcraft. Verse 31 says, He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel. Jezebel was not a nice lady. Who knows that Jezebel was not a nice lady? Described in scripture in 1 Kings 9.22 as a whore and a witch. No morals. Deeply entrenched in the things of the devil. With Jezebel's assistance, Ahab got even worse. Be careful of your friends. With who you're emotionally involved and ultimately who you marry, they will influence you. She was the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonites, and began to serve Baal and worship him. Ethbar was a priest of one of the pagan religions and had murdered his way to become king, deeply entrenched in witchcraft, pagan worship, do anything to get what they wanted and what he wanted. You know, the devil will do anything to get what he wants. He will offer you power, wealth, fun, and then he will come and ask for your payment. I've had discussions with young men who find Satan's power hard to give up, the influence that they have. They deal with Ouija boards and... Um, play around with morality, drugs. You play around with the fringe of Christianity. Satan wants you to go to hell. In the body of Christ, it's all or nothing. When there is a war on, the first place it gets bombed is the border. Why are we sitting on the border? Why are we sitting on the fence? Get into the stronghold of God and throw some bombs of your own. Ahab was a weak man. He looked strong on the outside, but he was weak. If you look at the story of Naboth's vineyard, his wife comes and said, why are you so sad? I can get that for you, and manipulates and manipulates. And he basically lets her do it. Christians, on the other hand, should be like doves. Gentle on the outside, but strong on the inside. We should be the strongest people. 
Jesus when he set his face towards Jerusalem. He knew what he was going to. He knew what was going to happen. He knew he was going to be betrayed and hung on a cross. It was all written for him in the Old Testament. He knew he had to fulfill every prophetic statement, marred more than any man. But he set his face towards Jerusalem and went to Jerusalem. The strength, internal. We should be loving people, soft on people, but in the prayer closet should be the toughest people. You know, movies depict Christians and ministers as weak and insipid. It's just constantly coming through. Having cups of teas and jumble sales, oftentimes unethical. That's not what it's about. You look at David's mighty men, or look at Jesus' mighty men, the, the 11 or 12, including four apostles. All but one was martyred. All but one was martyred. They gave everything. Everything. God is not looking for wishy-washy, watered-down, insipid, lukewarm, timid Christians. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love and sound mind. Power and love and sound mind. Where are the Elijahs of God? Verse 32, he read up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. As a result of Jezebel, he put more and more idols. God's land now has idols. Ahab opened the door and they came in. The same in your life. What do we let in? What doors do we in? You know, nothing can touch you except what you let in. What I let in. What I let in through what I listen to, what I watch. What I see on the internet, that's what opens the door. Hollywood is shaping tomorrow. The morals, language, violence presented shapes the future. You look back 20 years of Hollywood and then come back and you see what the morals of 20 years ago is what we see today. I was in Disney World a long time ago now with my family and a quote on the wall in Disney's Epcot says, one of the greatest resources in America is the mind of our children. I tell you, the mind of our children are under attack in this nation and in all nations. What, they, what they're trying to get into schools is disgusting. You know, we cannot beat that sowing and reaping principle. If we think we can, we're being deluded. Pastor Kenzie talked last week about the armour of God. Put it on. Put that helmet on salvation. On your head and get your mind right. Put that uh, um, breastplate of righteousness and get your heart right. Protect your heart. Baal was a demon god. The children of Israel tried to find another god. I remember speaking on a plane with someone from the Baha'i faith. And I don't know if anyone knows what the Baha'i faith they have a bit of everything. They have the Quran, they have um, the uh, Jewish faith, they have the Christian faith, they have the Hindu and Confucius. And I said, so tell me about your service. And they said, oh, we read a bit from everything. I said, okay. And, and we had a long chat about it. You know, it wasn't that long afterwards that um, we were watching a Shirley Temple movie, and guys, don't judge me, that's her choice, a Shirley Temple movie. And there was this picture of Kali, one of the Hindu gods. And I wrote it down because a woman, her tongue hanging out, with skulls around her neck, and under her feet are the bodies, bodies of crushed humans. What does that have to do with Christ? How can you even have those two in the same sentence? Nothing, deception. And you know what? That's our enemies. One of his best enemies is to deceive us. The people of Israel began to worship the idols, got worse, prostitution, idolatry. And then Jezebel said, no, that's not enough, let's kill the prophets of God. You know, there's going to come a time that Christians will have it far worse than we do today, where we'll be the target of discrimination. It's happening where our missionaries are, in India, Pakistan, China. Drag them away into prisons, burn them alive. In Israel's time, they killed the prophets. Some hid, some ran out of town. Sadly, some even converted. The voice of God became silent in the land of Israel, in the northern kingdom. And then Elijah, God, came. The nation of Israel needed someone like Elijah to be available to God. 
I can see, as I said before, Elijah hearing about the sin and iniquity and beginning to pray. To get a burden for people swept up in this sin and prostitution and idolatry. God, you've got to do something. Speak to these people. Show your power, Lord. Show your power. I can see him pacing around those hills, burden for God to move, burden for his people. Are we burdened for the people of Australia? Where are you, God? Send someone. And he said, I've got someone. Us. After three years of no rain, three years, Elijah finally speaks to the king again in verse 17. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? 1 Kings 18, 18, 18 says, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family, you have abandoned the Lord's command and then follow the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. That's a lot of people. I don't know about you, I'd be thinking, my tax dollars at work here. Anyway, it's just a side. So I have sent word through all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long, how long will you waver between two options? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls. Let them choose one for themselves, cut into pieces, put on the wood, but don't set it on fire. I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. So 450 prophets of Baal to one prophet of God. I think that's a majority. Just an aside, just look at some of the history of the church. England in the 18th century was a cesspool. No way, nice way to put about it. It was a moral quagmire. Morally the country was becoming increasingly decadent. Drunkenness was rampant. Gambling was so extensive that one historian described England as one vast casino. Newborns were exposed in the streets, left to die, cast away. This stat just horrified me. 97% of the infant poor in the workhouses died as children. 97%. That means only 3% survived. And our day, most, many don't even make it out of the womb. John Wesley travelled 250 miles in the cause of the gospel. In his preaching, he talked continually of Christ and emphasised repentance. Funny word. I don't hear that too much these days. Repentance, faith and holiness. As Wesley preached, multitudes responded. He noted in the journal that the word of God ran as fire amongst the stubble. It was glorified more and more, multitudes crying out, what must I do to be saved? And afterwards witnessing, by grace we are saved through faith. The revival cut across denominational lines, touching every class of society. England itself was transformed. In 1928, just 200 years later, Archbishop Overson wrote, Wesley practically changed the outlook and even the character of the English nation. Some historians maintain that the revival so altered the course of English history that it probably saved England from the kind of revolution that took place in France. One man. One man who got on his knees and began to pray for his nation and came out with the power of God and the anointing God of his life. Charles Finney, another one in America, also anointed of God. 
walked into a building to have a meeting with a cotton mill man. As Finney walked into the cotton mill, one of the opponents of the meeting, a young lady employee, saw him. Looking at her co-employee, she began to laugh. Some writers say she made a cynical remark about Finney in his meeting. In a spirit of prayer and under the anointing, he just looked at this young lady without saying a word. And he kept looking at her. Grieved. Grieved by her criticism. The lady stopped working as she'd broken her thread. She became so upset that she couldn't repair the thread and start again. The Spirit of God mightily convicted her of a sin to the point that she began to weep. Nothing's been said. The anointing of God can so rest on us. And God's presence can so rest on us. That just by walking into the room, the presence of God can fill a room. Soon her companions were convicted and began to weep. A chain reaction occurred as hundreds began to be overcome by their lost condition. The factory owner, seeing this, was deeply moved himself and said, Stop that mill. Stop the mill. Let the people attend to religion, for it is far more important that our souls be saved than the factory run. All the workers were assembled in a large room, and Finney said, A more powerful meeting I scarcely ever attended. Within a, a few days, nearly every employee was saved. And that's the anointing of God. A double portion. Several authors say there were 3,000 employees in this factory. David Wilkinson, and you've probably heard of him from Run Baby Run and Nicky Cruz. He was challenged in his small church in rural America to give up his two hours of television. Two hours of television to seek God. God put in his heart a burden for the slums and street kids of New York. He went with little money and began to preach. He saw a need to, for a program to minister to those swept up in drugs and prostitution. It's called Teen Challenge or 180TC today. Hundreds of thousands have gone through the program with a 90% success rate. It's been recognised by governments around the world. And Elijah of God. John Dobson, as part of rewriting one of his books, travelled throughout Europe. The voice of Christianity is being diluted, has become silent. He interviewed 160 children about what is the meaning of Christmas. Six knew it was about Jesus. That's a very small percentage. I wonder what would be the stats today. This is the acceleration, the rejection of all things Christians. Cartoons, TV, streaming, goes everywhere. I remember 30 years ago we were in Nepal and they had mud huts, but there's still somehow this little wire that you just run from one mud hut to one mud, one mud hut so they could get the TV to run. That message is getting out there, but it's not the message of Christ. Spurgeon, the reason the church has so little influence on the world is the world has so many influence, so much influence on the church. Kenneth Hagen, and there's others that I had up on that list. Thank you. Reinhard Bonnke, Yongi Cho. While I was sitting there in the early service, I was just thinking of this quote, so I looked it up. And D.L. Moody, another evangelist, the world is yet to see what God can do with a man, a woman, fully consecrated to him. I'll read it, say that again. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man or woman fully consecrated to him. And his statement was, by God's help, I aim to be that man. I aim to be that man. I'm sure you aim to be that man or woman as well. Are we in danger of letting the voice of God become silent? Our lawmaker has been changing, watering down laws for years. Let's change this law. Whoosh. Let's make this change. It's a small change. Whoosh. 
I've been encouraged lately to read and support people like Martin Isles and George Christensen rising up and declaring a standard, whether an MP, a bishop, a politician or our own people here in Raymer. Voices are being raised. Have you been praying, praying for your leaders? Where are the Elijahs of God? What about our day? How many die before they even get out of the womb under convenience? Let's allow this in. Sowing and reaping. We don't begin sowing something else into this nation. I dread to think what we're going to be reaping. We see kids killing kids, pregnancies, 12. Child snatching seems to be getting worse. I think we are seeing just the beginning. Yet we talk about viruses, vaccine and mandates as a main topic of conversation. And we lose the essential message of Christianity that God came because he loved us and he loved you and paid a price for their sin. Elijah saw what was happening in his, his time and he reacted. He prayed. He sought God. I believe he got mad. He put his armour on. If you want to be effective in this world, you've got to start off by being effective with God. We need to get on our knees and be effective in prayer before we go out there. Because that's where we get the power. That's where we get to understand his heart. That's where we get to understand his vision. And that's where we get our anointing, that divine enabling to do the task which he has called us to do. I believe he's going to raise up Elijah's. What about in your home, your school, college, university, community, workplace? One of the guys who I work with said he figures he's broken three commandments. And I looked at him and I said, only three? <laughs> and I thought, shall I challenge you by that? And I thought, okay, let's, let's just leave that alone. So what are you going to do about the three you did break? Because God wants to touch your life. I believe God is going to raise up Elijah's. It's not a leader. It's not ones or twos. It's every one of us. We're all ordinary people. Ordinary people that come extraordinary and understand the supernatural and then we allow the Spirit to get into us enough to do extraordinary exploits to God for God. People who spend time with God. It's not going to be at the front of this service. It'll be those who count the cost and make the choice and say, I'm going after my God. Jacob wrestled with God. And I believe the fire of God is going to come and fall, anointing you, every one of us and me, to have an impact in my sphere, in our sphere of influence. Because if I don't say something to those around me, who will? If I don't raise a standard, who will? People are hungry for spiritual things. You sit there and go, no, 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 they're not. I reckon they are. You look at Harry Potter. You look at all the books around on spirituality. The shops that sell crystals. Reading the stars regularly. They're, they're hungry for spiritual things. And the devil will give them the counterfeit. If we do not show them God, others will lead them astray. Ahab and Jezebel led a whole nation astray. The world is a dangerous place, not because of those who do evil, but because of those who look on and do nothing, says Albert Einstein. So we get to this showdown. 450 to 1. And I don't have time to go through the whole scripture, but basically he says, okay, you go first. All 450 prophets start dancing around. They cut up a piece of bull on this, on this altar. And they start in the morning. They went to the noontime. Funny enough, nothing happened. All 450. So, I like Elijah. He starts goading him. He starts stirring him up. Oh, maybe he's asleep. You need to shout louder. So they did. Maybe he's gone away on a holiday. We're gone to the loo. Sort of says that. <laughs> He's busy. And they shouted, cut themselves as part of what they do. 
And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, the Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant. And I've done all these things at your word. I need the vexits. So he built the altar, took the stones, one for each of the tribe of Israel, built it up again. We need to build that altar up. We are the living stones, it says. We are the stones of the altar of God. And we need to arrange that wood and arrange that sacrifice of our life and put that on the altar. And I tell you what, when he did that, they started, he asked them to pour water on it. Because I tell you what, people will try and pour water on your vision in God. And he did it four times. More water, more water. And the water was soaking in the wood. Water was soaking in the sacrifice, soaking in the stones and filled up a trench around it. Now, definitely, we need God's fire to fall. A match is not going to do anything. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and you have turned their hearts back to you. You know, when God's fire falls, nothing can stop it. If we would get into that prayer closet and enter alone with God long enough, long enough to get God's anointing. I reckon this church, every church, every Christian would be unstoppable to go out with your double anointing of God. You know, we've got a prayer and fasting month next month. What a great time to get into to, to his word and just spend time with him, getting alone with him. The anointing. Eagerly desire. You know, Elijah had many opportunities to miss out. Elijah kept saying, stay here. No, I'll go to the next town. You just stay here for a bit. You know, we might hear it in words like, lie down here. You're working too hard. You're doing too much. Just take it easy for a few weeks, a few months. Let other people do the work. Elisha did not let Elijah go until he saw that double anointing. He pressed on. Do not leave until he had the blessing, until he had that double anointing. I'm just, in the remaining time, I've got to be quick, go to the end of Elisha's life. So a whole lot of miracles happen and raising of the dead and all those sort of things. It's it's worth reading his story. It's, It's a great story. But it gets to the end of his life and the king comes to see him. And he said, he actually starts out by saying the exact same lines to Elisha. Joash, the king of Israel, came down and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. He knew he was, it was the end of his life. And the, the king had said, How I want to defeat my enemies. So he tells them to shoot a bow, a bow of victory, uh, an arrow. And Elisha put his hand on, on, the, on the arrow as he went to shoot it and shot it out the window. And he said, This is the victory that you will have over your enemies. And then he asked to get the remaining arrows and beat them on the ground. And we don't know why the king only hit the ground three times, but he hit the ground three times. Maybe he was, you know, what's this for, you know? Only three times. And Elisha was angry with him. He says, why only three times? You'll only defeat your enemy three times. You could have hit it and keep on hitting it and hitting it and hitting it. Are we the same? Do we give up too easily? Do we sort of get alone with God for a couple of days and then drift off? I know I've done that. We don't sit there and keep on going until the anointing of God pours in our life. How hungry are we for that double portion? How hungry are we to see God move in this nation?
let us not be the ones of twos and threes, but come again and again and again in prayer. Beating those arrows God gives us on the ground until the enemy is defeated. It goes on to 2 Kings 13, 20, 21. Because Elisha died, was buried, put into a tomb, and his bones start to decay. Then Elisha died and they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So it was as they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Man, that's an anointing that he Dead bones resurrect. I thought, what a weird story to put in the Bible. The anointing was so strong that his dead bones with rotting flesh and everything over it just still had so much anointing that it could raise the dead. And I was thinking about that. And I said, why was the anointing still in the bones? Elisha never passed it on to anyone. Elijah passed his anointing to Elisha. Where did Elisha pass his anointing to? Do you know we get a lot of input into our lives? Pastor Tony and Patsy, the preaching, just awesome. And there's so much study material around. But we can soak it up, soak it up, soak it up. Do you know the anointing comes as we give it out? It's a divine enablement to do a task. So we're here to do a task. So we actually need to do something with that. We're not a lake. We're supposed to be rivers of living water flowing through us. Flowing through to everyone around us. I don't want to die with an anointing. I want to give it out as much as I can. I'm sure that's your prayer too. Samson, under the anointing, did great exploits. He presumed on the anointing. And I always saw Samson in my, in my childhood as a man with rippling muscles. And do you know, he didn't even have to look like that. When the anointing of God came on him, he did great exploits wasn't based on his own muscles. God can use anyone. The devil will do anything to not let the fire fall. He will divert us. He allows us to be comfortable, confuse us. He will lie to us. Not this year. Not now. Not 2022. He's had us in a bit of a flurry over the last couple of years, but not this year. 2022, I want to have an anointing like never before, and I hope that's your prayer too. I want to spend enough time with God to know His heart and His vision and go forward in that vision. No, I don't think I'm ever going to probably go up, unless He asked me to, to the Parliament House and in stubbies and a blue T-shirt. But whatever He gets my hands to do, I'm going to do with all my might and all my strength and the anointing of God. Because I want His divine enablement over everything. I want the Holy Spirit to be able to blow on everything I say and do. In that same Epcot Centre, I may only be one person, but I can be one person who makes a difference. Is that our prayer? How do I position myself to the anointing? Well, Pastor Patsy put it very well. One, recognize the times. Two, to humble ourselves. To humble ourselves and pray. If my people would humble themselves and pray, I will hear the land. And begin to pray. Begin to get alone with God. Hear his heart. And act. Act in His anointing, in His wonderful touch 
of God upon your life. God is so good. You know, He's more interested in anointing you for activity, for tasks, than you are of receiving it. Isaiah 10.27, the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. If you have something holding you back, get into the Word, pray. Be alone with God. That anointing will break the yoke. Let's build that altar of God in our lives. The devil can pour all the water on it he likes because when the fire falls, that fire burn the sacrifice. It burned the wood, obviously. It burned the rocks. It burned the dust. It even lapped up the water that was surrounding it. It burned everything. And remember I said the water was the enemy putting that on. He'll burn whatever the enemy is doing in your life as well. Everything is consumed. If you don't know him today, and I, today's your day, you can get to know him. I'll lead you in a prayer shortly so you can know your loving father who came and died, sent his son to die for us so that we can have this beautiful, wonderful relationship with him. So he can fill you with your Holy Spirit and anoint you for service. If you'd like to do this day, let's pray. Just pray after me. Heavenly Father, for too long I've kept you out of my life. Forgive me for my wrongdoing, for no longer will I close the door when I hear you knocking. I'm ready to trust you and declare you as my Lord and Saviour. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to earth and giving me the gift of eternal life. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Saviour. Amen. If you prayed that today, congratulations. You've entered into the kingdom of God. You started a journey to get to know Jesus and His and his Heavenly Father. Make yourself known to us. There's a next steps desk at the top or come and pray at the front at the end of the service. If you're a Christian, if you want a fresh touch, the altar will be opened at the end of the service. We're happy to pray for you. But as we try, as we go for that anointing, I know I need to do that one-on-one with my Heavenly Father. As I said at the beginning, I don't want to be a 2022. I want 2022 to count. And I want to go with an anointing. And I pray that you do too. Bless you. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au.